Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Series 2, Episode 2 of George Ezra and Friends, the podcast. And today's guest is the one and only, that's right, take a bow, Ellie Goulding. Yes, we did it. I, I was so, last year, Ellie very kindly invited me to play a charity event that she puts on. Um, it was at the Royal Albert Hall. <laughs> which meant that I got to play at the Royal Albert Hall for starters, which was amazing, of course, um, for selfish reasons. But more than that, it was just amazing to be part of this uh, this evening that she put together. And uh, we first spoke about getting together for the podcast then. And naturally, the reoccurring theme of this show is people's diaries. Um, but we've managed to make it happen. We managed to make it happen. Uh, Ellie very kindly uh, came round to my place and uh, we sat down for an hour or so and just chat away. A bit like Ellie was saying, for those of you that don't know as much about Ellie as you're going to by the end of this show, Ellie is a British singer and songwriter and uh, performer uh, and I think this will be her fourth album coming out um, and she's just, yeah, she's been here, there and everywhere and she's uh, had huge success all around the world and uh, is loved by many, uh, which of course that was fascinating to talk about. Um, I think the funniest thing was though, she she's definitely in a, uh, in a phase at the minute where she's kind of locked away writing and recording and uh, naturally you just get into the swing of having conversations with people in, you know, the same people in the same rooms and you, she was kind of saying to me how funny it is to be out and actually having conversations. I think she enjoyed that, which was really sweet. And, I should say, Ellie is the first podcast guest we've ever had that came bearing cake. Yes, indeed. Now that, I like. Um, so thank you for that, Ellie, and thank you for your time. I really enjoyed it. It was amazing. Um, I should let you guys know that are listening, I am actually backstage at our show in Newcastle tonight. Shout out, Newcastle. Um, but I was finding it hard to find a quiet place backstage, so I've actually, I'm now on the tour bus. There might be a few kind of creaks and moans from the bus. Uh, uh, that sounds wrong. What I mean is the, the bus kind of, the engine might start up. Um, and there's a bit of hullabaloo outside on the street. Uh, apologies if you can hear that. Um, yeah, it's a brilliant episode this week. I think you're going to really enjoy it. For anyone listening in the UK, uh, listen out halfway through for our um, Partners Mind, uh, the charity. And for anybody listening overseas, um, you may hear an advert or two at some point. As always, just don't, oh, guys, come on. Hey, don't look at me. I'm just the messenger here. I don't know what's going on. There may be one or two swear words uh, in this podcast. If you are listening with kids with you, little people, are they in the car behind you or in the house? Have you got it on the speaker? I don't know, but I'm just giving you a heads up. Um, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, Ellie Goulding. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's episode of George Ezra and Friends, where I am joined by the lovely Ellie Goulding. Hello, Ellie. Hello. How was that? Fine, that was great. <laughs> Thank you for being here today. Thank you for uh, having me. I know you're very busy. And also, this was one of the conversations I was excited about for a long time, because I was hoping to sit down with you 
for the first series and then that couldn't happen and then you know so this is I'm excited to be here um, I figure you're writing recording yeah. producing things up at the moment I don't know how much how far you are through that process have you kind of got the skeletons of something or a bit more um, I think this is the first time an album has gone through different stages um, I keep writing um, I'm writing in kind of you know I'll write three or four songs and then really love them as a um, as one and as a, as a story and they're kind of cohesive and then and then I suddenly I go and listen to another artist or go or, or something classical or watch a film and then I've decided that I'm going down a completely other road um, so it's been long it's been it's been a good couple of years it's, it was 2015 since I released my last record um, so it's been yeah it's definitely been um, uh, kind of all over the place but fun and mm. the first time I've really been able to um, experiment and feel kind of relaxed in it mm. um, there wasn't really much time there wasn't a huge amount of time between the first second and third album um, so this is the first time I really uh, got to um, yeah experiment a bit more see that's so funny what you were just saying about you get four songs together then hear something else and you go oh no because I ended up just not listening to music between my two albums because I was going oh I could try that or I could do this it's a slippery slope because I think not listening to music is also yeah, detrimental. great yeah it, it's, it can be detrimental but I think it's I think sometimes if I haven't listened to music for a week I mean I have classic FM on all the time because it's just that you can't deny how relaxing it is to just have it on um, and then sometimes I won't and listen to anything else and I'll get in the studio and and not really have you know anything yeah. and I was like oh, okay fine I'll go on Spotify and <laughs> see, <laughs> see what everyone else on. is doing <laughs> um, and then and then and then I and then I always regret it, and mm. then I always switch off again, and then regret it and go back to it. I mean, you know, it's really, it's really amazing occasionally. You know, Spotify is so formulaic and calculated in, in how it finds music for you, and you know, with um, algorithms. But, but very, very occasionally you find one song that will, you know, will last me for a few months of inspiration. Mm. Um, I always listen to that Most Beautiful Songs in the World playlist. Because I'm a sap, and um, and and that always kind of gives me some kind of something. The thing about those playlists is they're so good, but the names—I hate to admit what the names are because I they're, know. they're just calling them what they are. But yeah. it's like, oh, that makes me sound so basic. I know, I know, I am basic, but um, but yeah, but yeah, I I do I do love Spotify, and I make the most of it, and I've used it for a long, long time. Um, but but I do feel like there's. There's, there's something I'm not getting to. Like there's, yeah, there's yeah. an air, like there's a, you know, a type of Swedish music that I'm not accessing, or like a, you know, a, some other genre that I haven't, yeah. you know, found yet. No, I just found out recently about like PC music, and that makes me feel really. Do you know what that is? Have you heard of that? Go on, hit me. What's PC um, music? It, it's sort of, um, it's almost like a cross between like. Um, it's very non-offensive. Like, it's almost got like an, like a bit of like, what do they call it? like cowy cowy. Music? Oh my god, I'm going to sound so ignorant and old, but um, but it's kind of ravey. It's okay, kind of like nice. rave music, um, and it's you know it's, it's it's electronic and it's kind of all over the place and um, it's kind of got a pop thing about yeah. it. But it's um, yeah, maybe it was a phase. I don't know if it's even around now. But mm -hmm. um, but yeah, all these different kinds of music I keep finding out about. Um, 
But I think that's why it's important to keep talking to friends and getting recommendations from people. Have you always, like, you're talking about, you know, hunting down new music and has that been something you've always been interested in? Really? Yes. Yeah. I always I, I used to pride myself on being the first person to discover something. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, you know, there, there was a thing called Hype Machine and... Um, I'd always go on that and see what was the you know the biggest viral song. I don't even know if even that exists anymore. Um, but I but also I'd I'd um, I'd always work with people that I'd find on Hype Machine and on SoundCloud and um, I used to do a bunch of covers and I'd always do an, a, a my own take or you know, more of an electronic take on something, perhaps a bit more folky or indie or whatever. Um, when you say you would kind of work with people, would that just be? via you reaching out yeah. and being like, I love what you do. Do you want to get in a room together? Yeah, I'm such a hustler. I'll just, <laughs> I'll just email and if no one responds, no one responds. But occasionally, you know, a producer will will respond and say that they like my voice and they'd, they'd love to. That's so good to hear because on the, I was really nervous about, you know, because reaching out to people, I didn't do it once on the first album mm. and then I'd like tried it a bit and... I really enjoy it now because, as you said, the worst that happens, they don't respond. Exactly. One notch up from that is kind of like, hey, cool, I'm not into yeah. it. Da, da, da. Yeah. But most of the time, what you find is people <laughs> yeah, get Yeah, I've never had a reply go, nah, not really, not really a fan, but cheers. <laughs> never had that. No, I haven't, but you know, like that, all that really comes from my experience is nice conversation with nice people. Yeah. Like-minded people. Yeah. And I, I, I need to be better at it. I'm, I'm really bad at communication and I, and I get phone phobia and whatever. But mm. my new thing is, is, to, is to always read out, reach out to people mm. and, um, and never think that someone, you know, is too big or too small or, or whatever, or, you know, to, to work with. And, and it all, it, it's never been a bad experience mm. um, to reach out to a producer or a singer. You know, they could be, it could be Drake or it could mm. be up-and-coming um, musician, classical. I reached out to an up-and-coming classical um, musician recently um, called Sean Michelle Blaze, and he's an incredible, phenomenal pianist. And um, But then I also reached out to a rapper recently to feature on my, my latest song. Mm. And they said yes, so you never know. That was something, like, when kind of doing research for today's chat, something that really stands out is how collaborative you are. Mm. And it's something that doesn't come naturally to me at all, like, that... I guess that's like a confidence thing. But yeah. it feels like, it, or to me, it looks like something that you've been doing from the beginning. Yeah. Um, do you remember, is that just how you enjoy doing it? Was it just a natural thing for you to, to collaborate? I think it was just, that was quite, it was quite a normal thing to do. When I first started writing songs, um, I, was, I was at university in Kent, didn't, didn't finish the course, but, um, but I, you know, it worked out all right. Yeah. Um, and I, I would just be on MySpace, just contacting people to, to work with. Um, I, and then, then it kind of, I would play f songs on my guitar and write what I thought were folk songs because they were just on a guitar. But it turns out, you know, I had, I, I really was writing pop songs, and mm. um, they really came to to life when I met the collaborators. So this, I really wanted to. I'm happy you touched on that because my memory of first being aware of you. I don't know if it was a promotional video I saw, a photo or something I heard, but it was, in my head it's an image of you with an acoustic guitar. Mm. And in my head that's where you started. And then when, we, when I was going back listening to everything, you've always had this electronic yeah. element going on. And I don't know if I had forgotten that, I don't know what it was. 
But I was like, oh, okay, cool. Because even something that really struck me actually was listening to your first singles, and it it, it comes in line with that kind of new rave scene. And there was mm. like the whole CSS, new po- young pony club, yeah, klaxons, and yeah. And you can hear that in what you're doing. Yeah. It was probably like near the end of it, I think. Yeah. Time-wise. Yeah. But it was really amazing to hear it's actually from the beginning there's been some really like in the best way possible fucked up production on your stuff it's like it's <laughs> never like in a cool way there's always yeah. uh playing around with vocals and deliberately making it sound non-organic at times yeah and, yeah yeah i mean I, I was i was obsessed with things like auto-tune um so it was a it was a stylistic thing yeah. um but I mean, when you find out about my musical past, which I'm sure you will, then it, I mean, it, it will, it will sort of give the game away as to why I have this, um, you know, complete um, opposite of of guitar, um, this folk thing. I was always into folk music, and then and then I, I worked with a couple of producers early on who were electronic producers, and it just absolutely captivated me. Um, and you know, and also uh, Bjork is my is my number one artist of all time. So um, hearing what she did, the way that she, you know, um, the way that she sort of weaved electronic with with classical and with experimental and with choirs, and that to me was just that, that to me sounded like heaven. And you know, Bjork is it's a funny one because you know, not not a single one of my friends can understand my love for her. It's a yeah. I think it's a when you find that person and find that um, that that sound that just you know that you have some kind of that you connect with. That was that was her for me. Mm. And, and do you, yeah. what what kind of age were you when you first heard her? Um, I was fifteen. I stumbled into my house drunk. One um, you know. Ellie. What did we? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was that it was that time where you would tell your parents that you well told my mum that I was you know going to stay at a friend's house and you end up in a field with a bottle of vodka a bottle of Smirnoff whatever it was um so that was one of those nights and um god remember when you didn't get hung over I don't know you're you're a bit younger than me but these days I have you know proper two-day hangovers um so those are the days where yeah hangovers didn't 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 exist yet um and I remember walking into my house and um I switched on the tv and uh it was Björk maybe playing at Royal Albert Hall, maybe I can't remember the venue, but and uh, she was stood there, and I was thinking, God, what is this crap, you know? And then, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it just she just had had a hold of me, and mm. it, you know, since then I, I might I probably listen to her on a weekly weekly mm. basis. Um, every time you listen to her music, there's something new, and she does she composes everything herself, and she mm. produces herself, and yeah, I was going to say she's she's un, she's you know underrated, but she's not underrated. She's definitely has her place yeah, in the yeah, yeah. music. Yeah, I love that you can like recall that memories so clearly because everyone's got those moments. It's quite rare. Of, like, I yeah. can't recall that many memories at all. But that's <laughs> one of them. That's one of them. But when it's the like standout moments of like when you fall in love with something or, and you go like I remember that and I yeah. remember the feeling of it. Yeah, it's yeah, that excites me. Yeah, me too. Um, and then so. You study for a year and then you start working with producers and everything. What were kind of something has to happen between then and being signed and releasing mm. music on? Did, did you ever release outside of a label, or was there always a label involved? Yeah, I released. Um, I released on Neon Gold Records mm-hmm. um, with Derek and Lizzie. Um, Lizzie ended up then going and doing her own music with Miss Mister, and then a few of her. Own, and she's doing her own project now. She's incredibly talented. 
Um, so they, yeah, they gave me a shot at um, releasing something, and I released a song called "Under the Sheets," um, and I think I had a B-cycle fighter playing, which was yeah. a very Bjork influence. I can, you know, when I listen back to it, but um, but no, I I remember playing open mic nights in Hammersmith and in Shoreditch and all over the place, and um, and it was that I don't know if you you had this, but it was that time where. Labels were kind of sniffing around and turning up at shows, and it was the most exciting thing in the world to me at first. And um, and then it just became a normal thing that these people would turn up, but nobody was really signing, actually signing me. And as people were mm. were um, you know playing with my emotions and, mm. and calling me, saying, "Oh, I'd love to hear new music," and then sort of buggering off, and then coming back again. And so I was really tired, and I was still studying, and I was getting the train, and I had three jobs, so I. I was just tired, and um, and I remember. I think I think I went. I I had my guitar. I always kept my guitar around with me, and turned up at Universal Music and walked into the office of one of the labels. I don't know if it's there anymore, and just said, "Look, I'm really tired. Are you going to sign me or not?" And and then you know, all started panicking, and 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 I don't I don't know if anyone was really gonna gonna commit to it until I until I met Ferdy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you know Ferdy because you're now working Ferdy, with yeah. him. So Ferdy Unger Hamilton, um, he was the he was the I think he was at Virgin for a while, and then he was at Polydor, and he was um, you know the head of the head or whatever you call it. Um, and just for anyone uh, listening, Ferdy is now the head of the label that I'm signing, yeah. which is Columbia Records. So he's quite well known in the music yeah. world. Um, but uh, he so he said. Um, well, no, I like it. I'll sign it. You know, that's, that's quite good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, yeah, so so yeah, so we. I mean, it was it was almost like he just he saw something in me that perhaps you know saw something a little bit more than the other labels. Is that, um, is that uncommon for you to have walked in there and go like, "Come on, what's going on?" Or is that like a character trait well, of yours? That- no, it's it's re- I'm not I'm not a confrontational person by any means, and actually the, the thought of confrontational argument just you know, yeah, know. makes me very anxious. But I just, I just remember being being quite quite um, just short and I, and just saying, are you going to sign me or not? Because um, I'm just going to go home. And I, and I by home I meant back to Hereford. Mm. I had I had this solid job in Hereford, and you know I could make a good decent wage. Um, and I and I missed my hometown, <clears throat> and I was just fannying around, you know, with my guitar and playing these open mic nights and singing with every, you know every single you know, thing that I could muster in me. And and then these labels are just like, yeah, well, maybe just do a bit more writing. And, you know, that's the classic thing. Just but do a I bit more writing. Well, and I, 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 I don't think they're risk takers by nature, major labels, because I think that there's a part of them that's kind of, it'd be great if I knew this was going to pay off. And the thing is, they can never know that. Never you, know. There's no telling of what will and what won't. And you, no. I can understand why they feel that way. Yeah. And so I think there's a lot of uncertainty of people second-guessing themselves. And it's big investments, you know. Yeah. It's that kind of, well, I could sign this kid, but is it going to work? And you yeah. want to shake them and go, well, ha- ha- you don't know unless you try. Yeah. Well, even more so today, it... From 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 my from what I see um, on the inside or whatever, it it seems like songs are now the the focus. Mm-hmm. It's it's not your your sellability as as an artist or as a as a um, you know um, with longevity. Mm-hmm. It, to me now, it seems it's about how how much of a massive smash you can you can make. 
Um, and that look, I'm I, for this for this album. I, I'm I'm sure I have a couple of songs that are perhaps more palatable mm. radio wise. Mm. But um, but I've I've really been able to to do what I want and and really sing and not be afraid of of songs not being um, you know big smash hits or whatever, mm. which has been really liberating. Liberating, yeah, no, <laughs> I get that. I think yeah. the thing that worries me about it as well because I know myself when I'm writing, I mm. know when a song. Really quickly, I know whether it's got legs as a single right. or not and whether to pursue that. And yeah. it's not that I sit down and go, I'm going to write a single, but it's kind of like, oh, well, that is lending itself towards something that... And I always see singles as a way of giving people an idea of what the album is yeah. like. So it's kind of a... That's never happened with me, by the way. Any song that I've written, any song that has been released has never really been the best reflection of what's on the album. Really? So thank God that I have a genuine true fan base around the world because you know who are singing along to every song that, that that wouldn't ever really see the light of day um other than people being like oh i quite like burn or love me like you do and maybe i'll buy the album um but but uh it's it's funny because for example yeah love me like you do when that when that was released it was it was it was kind of far away from from what the album mm. sounded like um but even more that that's why that's why it's an interesting one now with not buying a CD in the shop because um, it's it's almost it's almost like people no longer are able to see um, or access your your re- real artistry mm. and I th- I probably will end up being the same again on this album but all I know is that is that you know I've done what what is true to me and um, and I haven't um, compromised anything. Um, so, and I think that there's a real power behind that, um, you know, not compromising and and having conviction with what you do. And new artists are now kind of coming up in this crazy music world of streaming and and it's it's hard. And so I think that the only, the advice, the only advice I could give is, is to is to not compromise because it, it becomes very obvious very quickly. When it's um, been compromised. Yeah, when yeah. it's been compromised. Um, it just it helps to have a, to have a, a a pop song. It helps to have a um, a song that will do well. If you, you know, yeah, I've got inverted does, commas. Yeah, but. No, it does because I think that I, I always saw before I was in this game, as it were, I always saw pop music as not being a genre but a, a way of like a structural thing. So mm. it's that kind of has it got a chorus? Because mm. a pop song can be, you know distorted guitars and you know or just vocals or acapella you know or choir whatever yeah it's more does it return to this thing that is inviting you to sing along yeah that's a pop song to me yeah and I think the the thing what you were just saying I agree with completely about you know you hope that artists starting now have the confidence to go fuck it I'm gonna try this but I have faith in that happening because I think for every there has to be reactions to everything mm. and, and it will become at the moment I think pop music sounds quite polished and uh, but very polished yeah and I think a reaction to that will be that it won't be you talking about your stumbling in drunk and watching Bjork yeah. what, something that stands out in my mind so vividly was I came back from my first ever Reading Festival and I was just what was your first Reading what year? 2000 and it was either seven or eight i think ah, 2003 was my i'm probably yeah. a bit older than you but yeah who was headlining um the second year 
was Arctic Monkeys. Yeah. Kings of Leon headline one year that I yeah. went. I can't remember. I was having fun at Reading, so I don't, <laughs> I don't remember too much of it. But I remember getting home and putting on... Do you remember when Channel 4 used to have those late-night kind of music shows? Yeah. For, and it was Jamie T playing something like yeah. four songs back-to-back back of his second album. And that was so rough and ready. It wasn't... It was just him and his guitar. And it didn't feel like he had gone, can I take that one again or whatever. It was like, this is this performance. Yeah. And I feel like it could get to that point again where that's what kids want. Yeah, I, I, there are, I speak to a lot of music people and I was just in Sweden writing and there seems to be this kind of um, pessimism about the music industry but, but it's like I, I truly believe that things come back around mm. over and over and for a reason and um, I'm, I'm a little more optimistic about it because I think there are, there's, there's, a, there's this amazing phase of... Um, in America, like being in America, hear, hearing hip hop blasting down the streets and this kind of trap, and and it's you know it's good, and I can't help but but like it. But you know, I I see things coming and going the same way that you know that fashion does. Mm. And um, like you said, you know, a good song is a good song, and it's really hard to to um, ignore that. You know. The other thing I wonder though. Has pop music always just been this way? Like, if, if me and you were sat here in 1972... I think it'd be quite... I was thinking about that. I think it's, it would have been a slightly different scenario. We Maybe... Wait, how, how um, PG is this podcast? No, go on, go on. <laughs> well, I mean, um, I, we'd probably be, on, you know, smoking something yeah, or, yeah, um, yeah. or taking yeah. something. But That's I why I had to ask. <laughs> no, it's OK. <laughs> so the thing that I wonder is... We can look back on, say, 1969 as this, like, oh, all the amazing music. But we hear the stuff that lasts the test of time. Mm. Whereas there must have been so many shit bands back then oh, that yeah. we don't hear about. Yeah, yeah. I always think that. I think, like, it's so easy to look back on with rose-tinted glasses. Yeah. And I'm not suggesting it wasn't good then. But, like, I do wonder, there must have been some naff stuff then. Yeah. You know? Well, my dad was in a band. My dad was a guitarist in a band, and he, I mean, for whatever reason, his band didn't make it. Um, not saying that he was it was crap, but I'm <laughs> um, sorry, Dad. But, um, I I I think you know there were just a lot of bands, and I you know you can imagine when the Beatles came out and the Rolling Stones, and you know that that all these kids wanted to do, and it was it was a revolution. You know, all these kids wanted to do the same thing, and it was like the first kind of you know rebellious thing, and and. Um, and so, yeah, I imagine there were so many bands that, that didn't, didn't make it the Sometimes same way. Sometimes I hear Beatles records and I think, imagine being 16 and this coming out and nothing, you know, and nothing had come out like that before. Do you think rock stars still exist? Do you think rock stars can still be um, made? For me, when I see it now, it feels a little bit contrived but just because of everything that's come before. So it's almost like actually the most rock and roll thing you could do now was to have like a PhD in something and like have a chamomile tea in bed because it's kind of and I think what killed it for me when I look back is the dawn of the iPhone or the dawn of like camera phones Mm. because people can't get away with stuff so there was that time of exactly that that era of I'm thinking of Amy Winehouse and Pete Doherty and Russell Brand mm. and Noel Fielding. Mm. I picture them in London 
in Camden. And it's not a million years ago. But no. It, but I think they would have been able to, they were the last people that could experiment and mess up and make mistakes without it being documented in such yeah. a way that it just kills the... Yeah. I'm definitely... I, I wouldn't go out and do things that I might have done in a different time because I just think, well, what's the point? It's not going to yeah. be... Uh, memory it's going yeah. to be this thing that exists yeah and, yeah yeah well when I when I first started out I was um I was quite well known for not well known but I I was a runner and I loved to run and um and I I would when I'd meet up with fans we'd all go on a run together no way because I was kind of like I wasn't really into the idea of like sitting in a room and being like hi and just being mm. weird awkward so I just thought it was, like, it was something I was going to do anyway in the day, and it kept my head together. Mm. Um, and so me and some fans, you know, it was a bit like a Forrest Gump vibe, because <laughs> we'd, you know, these kids were running behind me, and then I'd stop, and they'd stop, and then, and, you know, and then I'd say, we, we should go back there. I'm like, okay. Um, but, but, it was, but that was so un-rock and roll, and it was quite a few music articles would write about me and be like, you know, I kind of like her music, but... She's not really a rock star, and she's, you know, she's not cool, and she, you know, because I would talk about the fact that I liked running and that I liked staying, mm. keeping my head together. But now, um, it's so important to do the things that keep your head together because, uh, thank God, now there's such a, there's much more of an emphasis on talking and being open about your mental health and about anxiety and, and but back then, Christ, I was taking the piss out of so much mm. for being this, you know, running nerd. Um, but now it's. Um, Maybe, maybe that, you know, I, I play guitar better than any of the blokes in my music class. Um, but, but I, you know, that still obviously wasn't enough to make me, you know, a bit of a rock star. Um, but like that, but that's how I think of a rock star sometimes. I think of like, you know, running around on stage with a guitar with a drink, mm. which is essentially what I've done for the past 10 years. Um, I'm just, I'm just really conscious that I've got fans that are very impressionable and, um, and, I always did things and I was really open about the things I did to keep myself together and keep my head together because, you know, 10 years of touring and doing what I do is makes for a crazy mind. <laughs> I, I, absolutely yeah. does. I think, like... How have you found touring? I love touring. Only on this record have I just admitted to myself, it's okay to love this, man. Because I got really worried on the first album of what if I'm going to be on tour forever? Yeah. And then on this time, man, I'm like, that might be the case, man, and it's not a normal life, but it's okay, you're mm. doing it, and it works for you. Because when I say touring, for people who are listening, I mean, like, t- it, it sort of has different, you know, things attached to it. It's like touring it will include sleeping in the tour bus, waking up early because the light comes through, you know, and you, mm. you, um, you're awake at 7 a.m. whether you like it or not, and then doing a show going into the venue, doing the show, um, packing up, um, the crew pack up about 3am, um, you know, and then on to the next show. And so it's a strange um, kind of uh, Groundhog Day experience. The thing um, that, that on yeah. the, I spoke to Hannah Reid from London Grammar, yeah. and she, puts, she put it into words, something that I've always been trying to describe, and it's that thing of the adrenaline of being on stage at least for myself, is like none other. And mm. I come off stage and I'm wired in a different yeah. way. And then 
you have to you either have to keep that buzz yeah. going so you keep or, you have a few drinks or you yeah, yeah or you suppress it and you go no 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 it's time to yeah. wind down that and then once you do that five or six times a week and you're going up that and then the days are really boring when you're sat around backstage and there's not much natural light and you're mm. going oh what time sounds it and it becomes this weird cocktail of up down yeah. up down yeah. up down yeah. and then it makes normal life so we're sat in my flat now if I'm not got much on and it's linear and it, I get so bored, mm. it's in, I get like, and then I start to doubt my choice. I'm going, well, why aren't you doing something more extreme? And it's like, well, George, life doesn't have to be up and down, up and down, you know? It comes to something when I find myself, you know, volunteering to go on tour or do something because you feel like that's your natural, yeah. your, your body's become accustomed to that up and down and the travel and the tiredness. Mm. And then when you, when I get home, and I live by myself in, uh, up the road and um, sometimes I sit down and my cat's just kind of looking at me, like meowing at me, like, um, <laughs> well, what, are you, what are you doing? What's, what's the deal? What are we doing today? Mm. I'm just sat there like, you know, um, oh, should be maybe I'll get in the studio. I'll get in the yeah, studio, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then I'll go to the studio. Yeah. I can't ever give myself a day off, and that's not because I'm a workaholic necessarily. It's just because I'm, I'm really used to being wired mm. and um, and being on the move constantly. Yeah. Was it something that came naturally to you? Was there like a bedding in period of touring at first? Um, did it come naturally to me? God. Um, well, I, I think you know when you have those standout memories. A standout memory for me was. I it very 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 close together. Um, um, I I found out I won two awards quite close together, and one was the Brit Critics Choice Award, and one was the BBC uh, Critics Choice Award. Wait, is that it? Yeah. Um, Go on, Ellie. <laughs> but but um, but bearing in mind this is just um, this is really not long after I've been signed. Um, I've I've haven't played to more than um, you know, a couple of hundred people, maybe even less, and. Um, but when I think back to it, I was accepting it all as if it was meant to be happening, um, doing a very um, passive thing of ignoring, you know, that this was actually fucking phenomenal. Mm. But I wasn't. But I was ignoring that, and that that ended that, as a result, gave me very intense panic attacks um, where I would uh, be unable to to leave the house, um, or if I did leave the house, I'd have to have a pillow over my face, and it was just really really crazy. But I remember going on Jules Holland for the first time, being like, "Oh yeah, TV, I can do this," you know. But realizing that I've never been in front of a cam, you know, yeah, a TV yeah. camera before, um, and I've never performed on television. I've never been in a television studio. Never been to the BBC. Yeah. And then you're doing it all, thinking, "Oh yeah, this is just what comes with like being, you know, being a singer." And but blah, I blah. think also, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but because I've had a really and, yeah, I'm sure thing, you can. I yeah. think that part of it was. You don't. You don't want to like confront it face on as if like. A, you don't want to make a big deal of it to your friends and your family. Like yeah, of course I'm doing it. So you just take it in your stride instead of going, fuck, I'm doing this. Yeah, yeah. Fuck, yeah. guys. Da, da, da. So you just you start not sharing certain news and you start just taking it as well, normal. I, I found it embarrassing. I, I was yeah. I was always a shy person and. And, you know, my friends would remark that I'd always apologise on stage and say, sorry, I've just got one more song. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm really sorry. Um, but, but, you know, I, I don't have to do it. Okay, cheers, yeah, thanks, yeah, guys. Yeah. Um, and I'd hide behind, I had this massive guitar and I'd just hide behind it. Um, and I, I became, yeah, I became really embarrassed by mm. what was happening. And so um, that was, the, that moment there where I was, 
you know, someone came to my house and told me I was winning this award. I just, I just burst into tears. But, mm. but, but, it, you know, that that would be my. Um, it was very rare that I would be openly emotional about my situation. It was. It's only now that I feel like I can. Now that it's all done and it's all not done, mm. not like retiring, but um, I can really only now talk about it um, and and sort of laugh about it and reflection. But at the time, you know, it was lonely. It was a very lonely mm. place to be in. Welcome, one and all, to the halftime break, the interval, um, where I let you know what I'm up to at the moment and uh, what's going on in my world, and we just take a little breather. Um, I, do you see what I mean, though? I love this chat with Ellie. I just, I thought it was brilliant, really insightful. Um, as I said in the intro, I am recording this uh, in Newcastle, uh, the kind of intros and middle bits and the outro. I'm in Newcastle. Uh, it's the first night of our UK tour. By the time you're hearing this, the UK tour will be over, but we're back on tour next year across Europe and the UK. Um, we, it's just, yeah, it, we're just, the best way to put it is we are riding a wave and uh, you've just, you've got to take the opportunity while it's there and make the most of it. Uh, and it's just, it's a lot of fun. Last night we recorded Children in Need Rocks, um, which was a concert at Wembley Arena. Um, it was, I, met, I met Rod Stewart. Oh, in fact, I should say, I don't want to tie him in, but I, I probably spoke to him for about four or five minutes and managed to go, hey, Rod, fancy doing the podcast? Because <laughs> I'm just a hound like that. And um, I just thought he had a little glimmer in his eye and I thought he might just say yes. He politely said yes. That could well mean... Uh, I'll say yes to shut you up, but it might happen also. Um, so that was great. Uh, as always, head over to georgeezra.com and that's where there's information on everything that we're doing. And you can sign up for my journal, which I write once a week and it lands in your inbox, uh, which just updates you with what we're up to on the road, uh, which I sit down and write. And that, that's, that's brilliant if you'd like to keep up with what we're doing. Um, and there's merchandise and there's videos and there's music and all of that good stuff um, on my website. Other than that, it's just, you know, Christmas is around the corner. I mean, it's close, isn't it? And of course, here is the time where we hear a word from our sponsors and partners. Now, going into the second half of today's episode, uh, Ellie actually talks a lot about her involvement with the UN and charities, and um, it's, it's just extremely interesting and, um, yeah, very inspiring. I think you're going to enjoy it. Here we go. Again, like when I was researching for today, and, or just like, you know, going back and reminding myself of everything that had happened for you, I kind of hadn't appreciated in real time when it was happening just how huge it got in America. Yeah. And I know people talk about, oh my God, it's America, but it is a different beast altogether. And actually, being back home in England, we do miss out on certain things that are going on over there. Yeah. But that's no mean fit. Like, to, you have to be there again and again and again. And, you know, in the UK, I try and describe it to friends where I'm like, in the UK, you have, say, four or five radio stations. Mm -hmm. And that kind of, I don't want to generalise, but it kind of covers the majority of Britain. Yeah. 
Whereas in the US, there's that in every city, in every state, mm. in every... So to even make a dent on that country, you've got a... I mean, on the first album, we spent six months of 2015 there. Yeah. And I feel as if that groundwork, we still enjoy the... You know, now when we go over and tour, there's people that buy tickets and stuff. But for you, it was a whole... It is a whole different beast over there. Mm. Do you remember a point? Can you remember a time where you go... Okay, something's happened, or something is happening. Um, I had just started writing my second album, and I was so over the first album. It, with the greatest respect to myself, it was just those songs were I'd written from the age of fifteen to twenty, and myself and Starsmith Finn had written these songs in Bromley in his in his bedroom, and 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 we and then I went for a couple of days down to Brighton and wrote this song Lights um, with with Bistanas and. Um, and I remember writing the song and I remember going through the motions of singing it and the lyrics really meant a lot to me because I talk about sharing my bedroom with my two sisters my whole life um, and talking about how our house was never locked um, not because it was safe because we just couldn't find the key and then that was it we just <laughs> never got it re-cut um, and so I talk about that in the song and it, it did mean a lot to me but then when I was singing it it was I don't know if you've had this experience where you do want to write a song and you, and you do like to write but but sometimes you think that maybe the studio isn't going as well as it could, so you sort of just go with something and sing it and maybe you can come back to it and improve it. So I did that with lights and I remember singing, you sure that lights, that snobby, or whatever in the thing, and like they're going, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, thumbs, thumbs up. up. <laughs> <laughs> and then in my head I'm thinking, God, this is rubbish. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and, and then I got to my hotel room and, and I was like, well, you know, it's, just, it's good to just have a song. It's good to come out with a song, if, you know, if anything. And um, and then so I forgot about it and I forgot about that song and I put it on whacked it on the album and um, everyone loved it so I just you know put it there and then um, and then went over to America and I I, I, I did maybe two or three small tours um, visited some radio stations and this was just off the back of me um, you know a bit of success here in the UK and then I was like right done with that and I had a, I had a, an American boyfriend at the time so I was and he was a DJ and he was living in LA and so I was seeing him and I was running around the world after him um, because you know he was just the coolest thing I'd ever seen mm. and um, so that that kind of you know took me off my um, you know took my concentration a bit um, and and then I got back to got back to the UK, went to Wales to to start working on the second record. And then I'm starting to get these emails, you know, whenever they're signal, um, and I get these emails saying, um, um, "Lights has been picked up by American radio, and yeah. you know, people are really enjoying it." And then before I know it, you know, it's being played by every single radio station in America, and it's number one. And this just happened so was quickly. It one? Yeah, it was number I one. I didn't realise yeah. that. Yeah, and. So then, but then that is incredible. <laughs> That's like I know it's so bonkers. And just just when I thought, you know, that I was getting a bit of a break, and I was back in Hereford, loving being back in my hometown, um, chilling. Um, I'm saying, sorry, you've got to come back to America. And I remember just being so upset about it because I was I was so ready to yeah, yeah. to just relax but and also, have a day once off. You've got it in your head. Oh, it's coming! Like everyone on tour on our camp, we get ill once you're like a week away from finishing. Yeah, your yeah, body yeah. goes like, I'm done. Exactly. My my body was just checked out of mm. the first album, and and um, and then all of a sudden I'm back in America I'm in, and SNL and Jimmy Kimmel and all those shows and. Um, so then it just restarted the campaign I'm sorry, over I didn't again. I realised that it was number one. No, I mean, so I've had a couple of number ones in America, but 
But um, oh. it was, yeah, oh. Oh. <laughs> just a couple. Um, but it, but really, that's that restarted my entire first album campaign. Mm. So essentially, I've I've had three records, but out. But the first album was really I did it twice, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. when America picked up on lights, then the rest of the world picked up picked up on it, and I was in Australia and Asia and New Zealand, and yeah. So it was it was a tough one, and then. I, and then I was saying, look, I'm done with this song. I, I want to move on to the second record. And, and nobody was having it. And then this song would just go on forever. <laughs> um, yeah, and then finally I, I got, I, you know, I got to re- release a second album. Um, and I remember, I remember that, you know, you have these sort of markers of things. And I remember playing the whole new album at iTunes Festival in, in Camden. And I remember everyone being like, what the hell is this? And... Um, you know, it's quite, it's quite, it's quite um, dangerous to play a whole new album. It's you know, it's very, it's very <laughs> And but I was obviously in in a you know in that kind of um, frame of mind. Do, yeah. yeah, and I played the whole album, um, and then for about a year I was touring that album, and it was only a year later that something happened and it went to number one. A year later mm. in this country. So um, so I've had these weird sort of revivals. So, so, so you, you like released the second album. Yeah. Let it do its thing. Let it do its thing for like a year. Yeah, and then it went to number one. It, it went to number one exactly a year after I released it. That's mad. I know. I don't. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> but um, but I was you like, oh, for God's like, sake! Give me a break. I know. <laughs> and then as soon as it, and then when that happened, you know, the sort of publicity, whatever you call it, from that, then then made sure that I was on tour again for another two yeah. years, and then I was touring with Bruno Mars, mm. and and then at the end of the Bruno Mars tour, one of my songs went to number one here, Burn. And, um, and then I was off on tour again. And so it's just been non-stop. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> I know, yeah, I know. It's, it's kind of like, you're it's just stressful. hearing it. It's tiring. I know, I know. Well, I didn't realise that. That's so... The delay on those things. Mm. Do you know what I like about that, though? Is on... In my experience, I, I think that's because of word of mouth as well. And it shows that it's not just a song or it's not because of a certain placement on whatever. Yeah. It's because people are sharing it and... It just does its thing over yeah. time. I think I performed, uh, I performed a song called "Anything Could Happen" mm. on on TV, and it, I think it was on the, the final of X Factor or something. And um, I kind of miss those days. I don't know if they still exist or not. You know, when you see a live performance, it's like, wow, that is that is one special live performance, and and you think, and you go straight on iTunes and, and find the song, or whatever. Mm. And maybe it was a case of that because I remember performing, and I remember thinking there was something quite magical at that performance. And even though it was X Factor, and you know, people will have their own opinion on that show, but but whatever it was, it it it, it struck up some kind of momentum yeah, yeah. for me, and then and then um, and then I was back away off again, again. <laughs> away again, yeah. <laughs> and so this the music that you're kind of focusing. Oh, actually, one thing, and there might not be anything to this, I don't know, but you touched on earlier how you have kind of maybe impressionable fans, young fans. Mm. Uh, was that ever something that, not that you saw as a burden, but you kind of like, wait, I didn't sign up to be a role model. I didn't sign up to... Occasionally I had the odd, like, rebellious response to when people say that and said, you know, when people say, oh, don't you, don't you worry that, you know, when I'm smoking in pictures and things, which, by the way, I don't smoke anymore, but, you know, occasionally yeah. I would smoke. And, I mean, I turned, to, I, I turned to smoking and things because, you know, it was... It was the. It was anything but drugs, you mm. know. Any because I'm not I, I'm not a, a fan of drugs, mm. um, never have been, and anything but that. So you know, cigarettes or booze or you know, 
Um, so and and people say, you know, aren't you worried that your fans will will pick up on that? And and you know, and I'd be like, well, you know, that's their problem or whatever. Mm. And um, but then I realise, you know, I, I've got, I, I really do. Um, I really do, I know, you know, we say it a lot, but I really do love my fan base. They're just so brilliant and, and um, conscientious. And, and I often talk about things that I'm really passionate about and homelessness and, and the environment. And I talk a lot about climate change and, and they just go with it. And mm. they, you know, they they start they start campaigns on social media and they and they tag me in pictures where they've been picking up rubbish off the beach or they've been chatting to a homeless person and I think fuck that's powerful yeah. and so the next time someone says to me like you know um, do you care that your fans uh, you know um, are in, you know do the things that you do and I'm like yeah, it's great it's amazing and 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 they know that I've got vices and they know that I drink and have the occasional cigarette but. But um, but mainly they they they're impressionable in a good way, mm. and I'm really proud of that. I'm really proud that I've got such an incredible, um, you know, fan base that really thinks about things yeah. and takes on the things that I take on. You kind of touched on it there, and of all of your achievements, I think one of the most impressive or admirable is the fact that your your involvement with the UN and you're a goodwill ambassador. Yeah, right? yeah. that's kind of amazing. Yeah, and and. The, what does that entail, or, or and how did that come about? Um, how did it come about? Uh, I was I was posting a lot at one point a few couple of years ago. Um, I became sort of quite frenzied about it because I was I was learning a lot from scientist friends that I'd met along the way, and from I'd go to WWF you know conferences with with scientists and. Um, and I'd talked to friends that were in the know about about what was going on in the environment, and you know, documentary makers and people that the people that were making the the BBC, you know, the David Attenborough documentaries, and and um, and the more I learned about what was happening in the environment and what, how climate change was 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 affecting the planet and affecting um, immig- um, immigration, migration, and um, uh, and you know, uh, the state of the ocean and plastic and all, all kinds of things. Um, I just went into a frenzy and was just was posting, and every single thing I posted was was about the environment, mm. um, and um, and it kind of took over my brain. I you know I didn't I didn't care about music for a second. All I wanted to do was was teach was try and teach people or try and enlighten mm. people about the things that I, um, I felt like I'd been enlightened by. And so the UN contacted me and said, you know, we we'd love to work with you in some way. Um, do, you know, come and meet us. So I went to the UN and headquarters in, in New York, and and it felt like a it felt like an interview um, because I walked in. I thought I was just meeting people, meeting you know the, the people working in the environment sector, and um, and but actually it was sort of like a not an interview, but like just just seeing what I was about and you know meeting me in real life. And I was posting all these things on social media, but there's only so much that can do. I think they wanted mm. to see if I could be an, um, a good ambassador for them. And um, and whatever I did, I must have been passionate and I must have you know, talked for ages because um, they were all really impressed and they were impressed that I'd really, you know, taken the knowledge in and, and, um, and learned and read books and they read this big fat book on... on uh, on the economy, you know, climate change, the economy within climate change, and and um, and so they were impressed, and and they wanted to take me on, and and also they could see that you know it was it was doing something. Mm. They could see that what I was 
posting about and I'm the sure way that I would what, word like, things. Something they would have picked up on as well that it wasn't just a, a phase. Like, oh, I'm into this for now. I'm sure what they picked up on yeah. was like, this is someone that's passionate about this. Yeah. And you know, I think it's important as well that they, there are younger people. Um, I know Leonardo DiCaprio does a lot of work. He's, he's a um, um, messenger of peace for the UN and he does a lot of work um, with them, with, with speci specifically with the environment and climate change. I, I was conscious, and they were too, that there were there were no younger people um, mm. with, um, you know, like I've got, I haven't got the biggest fam families in the world, like some big big artists, but I, I've definitely got enough people to to create to create, you know, a, a mm. stir in some way, and so I think that that was that you know they they took that on board, and, and you know I've 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 committed to everything with them, and I've and I've been to Greenland, and I've been to Kenya, I went to like an environmental assembly there um last year um and you know i i do get involved as, as much as i can and it, it's something i'm incredibly passionate about and and especially now now i was reading an article just today that the un have have, have got together with um you know uh, a few different countries um oh god i can't i can't remember the, exactly what it's in the article but it said that we now have 12 years to really tackle uh, climate change um, and that's sort of like the official you know length of time and it's really depressing but but actually it can be it can be changed it, it can, can be, be turned done, around because yeah. um, recently the Donald Trump do we even mention his name um, Donald Trump administration said that you know basically said well we're already screwed so we may as well relax um, you know, emissions um, um, uh, rules and regulations um, which is just a, a, absurd, and yeah. that's the you know that's the that's the mind of a, of a complete madman. One thing I wanted to ask is when you said when you were first meeting with friends that were involved with science and kind of thinkers mm. of that nature, were you are some of them of the opinion that are some of them more optimistic than others? Do, would, would you sit down with some people that were just like it's it's done? I mean, and I'll post something about climate change and lose easily ten thousand followers easily because people don't want to know, yeah. and I get it because it's fucking scary. But the only way that we are going to change things for not just us, but for our children and their mm. children, um, is is if we do something. And it doesn't. It just takes small lifestyle changes, um, because I really think that those lifestyle changes then, you know, when you know when uh, there was a smoking ban, mm. um, and loads of people stopped smoking because they don't yeah. want to go outside yeah. and smoke <laughs> in the cold. There's a series on Netflix that I recommend anyone watching. It. I think they're called Explained. And they're mm. kind of 15 minutes long, and mm. each will have a title. And one I watched that was Why Diets Always Fail. And essentially the headline was like, because people go into diets wanting to lose weight, not to have a lifestyle change. And if you want it to be healthy, that's a lifestyle thing. That's not just yeah. like, I don't eat white carbs. Yeah. It's like, no, just, you know, <laughs> it's like, because then your goal at the end of that is an image thing. It's not a, a, right, it's, a yeah. human thing. It's not yeah. like, I will feel better for this. And yeah. it's the same as, once you see the change, it's easy to commit to it. Totally. You know? Well, it's like it's this, it's that kind of it's that thing of, of when you see something for yourself, when you experience it for yourself, it's so much easier to commit to and so much easier to mm. to um, have an affinity with. But um, because people aren't seeing climate change through their, you know, they're not seeing mm. it on their doorstep, it's quite hard to get behind. Mm. But but. Um, but you know, this summer was crazy. Everyone knows mm. that it was ridiculous and the hottest year on record of all time. Um, and 
we will start seeing those changes in our lives with food and with water, um, with you know, with the sun and you know all my you know pe- pavements melting like Heathrow the tarmac melting and just silly things like that and over time that all builds up and it all makes a very different kind of lifestyle and the things as we know it um, will change. So making really small changes in your life, like eating less red meat, is not that hard anymore. There's such amazing. You know, there's, there's such amazing food to and and so many amazing ideas and with you know with body coach and um, Joe Wicks doing he's a friend of mine and he's doing a new vegetarian book and then Jamie Oliver now does like a meat free Monday thing and so That's yeah Jamie Oliver's all in Ex- there. exactly so so it's not that difficult and it's really small things using less plastic I have like glass bottles in my house that I just refill all the time and the water's fine like you know you can use tap water you can get a, <laughs> you can get a filter for the for the, because yeah. um, I know some people that won't you know, drink tap yeah, water yeah. in London, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, so it's really small things. And so I will keep um, being quite, you know, um, being a activist on social media. And it, if people unfollow me, fine, but, but I know that I'm gonna get, also get people behind yeah, me. Yeah, absolutely. Last year, you very kindly invited me to play at the Royal Albert Hall, which was my first time playing there. And it was my dream venue. Was it my, I think it was my first it was time as well. It's a beautiful venue. The best, yeah. Um, and each year you host and put together a night for homelessness. Is it in London or is it across the UK that it's, it helps? It's, it's just in London, nice. um, but it's, it's um, primarily for Streets of London mm-hmm. because... Uh, is that the name of a charity? Yeah, okay. yeah, they're called Streets of London and they help small charities across London. Um, and obviously I'd, I'd love to expand it to the rest of the country because there is a, you know, there's a homeless issue in all the big cities. Um, but I'm just. I'm, I think that I think it's a good start, and to start here, um, um, you know, there, there's there's about four thousand people roughly at the moment sleeping sleeping mm. rough every night, um, and then there's there's so many young people um, being turfed out for various reasons. Um, I went to a dinner the other night that was that was for LGBTQ. That was. Um, there were a charity that supports youngsters who get thrown out by their parents for not accepting their. Um, who they are, basically. Oh, I see. So, yeah, right, yeah, okay. yeah. So, so um, you know, what they identify as. Um, so, um, I think, yeah, exactly. So, so that's a huge thing at the moment. And so, Streets of London helps the smaller, smaller charities and smaller hostels. And obviously, there's crisis and shelter and, and um, a few others that I work with too. Um, but yes, yeah, so we're hoping we're hoping we are doing it this year. I know I've had quite a few people asking me on Twitter and stuff. But would you, yeah, would your advice be to anybody listening that it's better if they can afford to give what is five pound a month, ten pound a month to a local charity than it is to put the, put the money in somebody's hand there and there? Is it more yeah. beneficial to give it to a charity that then have the the infrastructure to help these yeah. people? I think it's I think it's great to give a little bit each month if if you can and and I know I know it's it's kind of tough because you know even 5 pounds is a lot you know it actually is a lot to the average person and I get that um but actually I would argue that that just giving your time um to somebody is really important mm-hmm. so whether you just walk walk up and have a chat to someone ask them about their life ask mm-hmm. them you know, have they got anyone they can con- you know, because sometimes when somebody ends up on the street, it's because it's honestly through things like humiliation and embarrassment that they don't talk to people, they don't ask for things, yeah. or you know, there, I've, I've spoken to some people. I work at a women's shelter every year. Um, I volunteer there every year, and it's um, it's um, yeah, it's um, down in Marlborough, and um, 
quite a few people have said that they didn't want to ask friends and family for the sofa or for a room because they were embarrassed and they just wanted to, you know, just if they if they went out on the street, you know, they could just not bother anyone and not not put a burden on anyone. So, um, and and also a lot of people get ignored and get trampled on at night by drunk people. You can imagine in London on a Friday night, get urinated on, you know, get shouted at, get spat at. Um, so give you know. The fact that you've noticed somebody and given them your time and gone up and you don't have to give them money if you don't have any money, but you know, or, or perhaps buying them a, a sandwich or, or um, asking them if there's anything they like, like chocolate. I've bought chocolate for people before, um, and also you know, in the in the cold weather, um, I've given things to people before if I have a jumper or, mm. or whatever, um, and I, I think just that interaction is really important, actually. Yeah. Have you ever read the book Stuart: A Life Backwards? No. It's amazing. I've just remembered it. I was a teenager when I read it. I could be wrong, but I think it was a student from Cambridge set out to write a book about homelessness and met this dude, Stuart. And the guy, Stuart, says, you can write about my life as long as you do it backwards. And so the book starts at the end of their relationship and ends where they met, kind of thing. Wow, yeah. Um, But it's really, yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. Um, is that something that you kind of always, once you started to earn money from music and you were able to do what you love, was it obvious to you that you would put time into helping other people and you know, that makes sense to you? Yeah, well, I always had a, I always noticed homeless people when I was young. Um, my, you know, I'd always ask my mum why people were homeless, why were they on the street? And, um, and so it was, I was always conscious of it. And I, I remember always thinking in my head, like, oh, imagine if, like, somebody met that guy and just like they became best friends and they took them in and and um you know gave them clean clothes and got them a job and all this stuff and so i'd always come up with these fantasies of like helping homeless people when i was young but obviously i, I could never do anything myself but yeah as soon as i as soon as i realized i was in a pr- more of a position to to help people that was kind of the first thing on my agenda and I, we've done streets of london um four years now four or five years in a row um and uh yeah, I've I've always I've always been really conscious of other people, and to me, homelessness is just regardless of how they got there, what kind of person they are, to to be living on the street or to have nowhere else to go, not one family member or friend to turn to, to me that is just the, the most upsetting thing that I can imagine. Um, mm. I I do what I can, um, and I get my friends to come and help and perform and but it really is down to the government because um that you know there's that there'll be people being fined for being found on the steps of a church or you know there's, there's fines and um there's people being dragged off and being arrested and so how do they imagine that those fines would be paid like what i don't know yeah. i don't know but i managed to get one something turned around i think it was hackney council um Brought, came up with a solution to um, to homelessness, and um, and people were complaining about that there were so many homeless people around, um, and so I think Hackney Council said, okay, well, you know, we'll come up with this initiative, and if if um, if if we find homeless people, you know, we'll say move on within this amount of time, or we'll find you a thousand pounds. And I was fucking disgusted, and I I um was tweeting them and I was trying to call them and I was just, I couldn't think of anything more, um, you know, I couldn't think of a bigger lack of 
of of sympathy or, or lack of compassion. Um, and it, and whatever whatever I did worked because they they took it away again. <laughs> And it was gone. So that, so you know, it just makes you realise that you have a, a small amount of power. Yeah. And and it made me realise, I think, from that day that 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 if anyone ever says, you know, well, what can you do? What can one person do? I know that I have, a, you know, a few more followers than the average person, or whatever. But but actually, um, your voice can go a really long way. So mm. if you ever feel the need to talk about something, just do it. Mm. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, I'd, I'm very aware of your time today. I don't want to keep you here for ages. Actually, you know, I could talk all bloody day. <laughs> I don't talk that much. I don't, I, I've spent so much time lately just in the studio yeah. and just with one other person and we just talk absolute shite. So yeah. it's really nice to talk about things, you know. Yeah. It's still nice to talk about music. Yeah. I feel like we, I don't do it enough. I don't talk about my, well, what, you know. What's kind of, when you gear up to, so now you're in the studio, as you said, you're talking gibberish in the studio. <laughs> you know it, yeah. Uh, what's, the kind of, not the goal for this album, because I know that's not a thing, but are you hoping to one day take it out, tour it, and, you know, is that something that is on your radar you'll enjoy doing? Um, I know you, as we were talking I about think, how we're just, yeah. it's part of our life now, but is that something that's on the horizon? I know that, I know that I'm going to tour, touring this record, it's an inevitability, um, but I'm looking forward to it. I think it's about time that I, that I you know, did some work. Everyone says like, well, you know, do some bloody work. <laughs> I'm like, I'm working but flat out. But if you last out. released your, uh, your third album came out in 2015, mm. it's 2018 now. You will have toured that for 18 months at least. Yeah, and then after, after I released Delirium, I then had a, a number one in America with Love Me Like You Do. And with that comes and a whole other, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I performed it at the Grammys and whatnot. Um, but I think this record I'm... Have a couple of songs, a couple of collaborations coming up soon, that that I really enjoy to sing, and mm. I love singing. Mm. I really love singing, and um, that's why I love working with other people because, especially if it's a collaboration, I sing in a different way. I sing lyrics I wouldn't usually sing. Mm. I use my instrument in a completely other way, so I really enjoy that. But but then on this record, it's it's so me, and it's so what I would sing and. It's so what you know, what notes would come after notes, and and the t the tone is so um, you know it's what I do without thinking, and it's with no one else involved. So I'm excited for people to hear my voice after a long time, and from a physical perspective, from a physical point of view, my voice has just got stronger and stronger. I was and stronger. just about to ask that. So, do you are you aware of a change in your voice throughout your albums and today? Yeah. Okay. I mean, have you, I mean, if you listen back to like Starry Eyed mm. or, or um, you know, it's really um, there, 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 like really like high and, and airy, and and now it's kind of like yeah, it's yeah, deep yeah. now, um, which would be the touring and the cigarettes, but. Um, but you know, it, it, but I, I, it's amazing how it's evolved. It really is. It's sometimes I s listen back to records, new records, and um, it's 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 a lot stronger. And I think it 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 sort of um, it has my voice has kind of captured everything that's happened to me over the past ten years. And without going too deep, um, I think it embodies that. It embodies all mm. the, all the all the different things. You know, the emotion and the stress and the. Um, but also, you know, that the 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 incredible, um, like you said, adrenaline of performing live, and then you know, 
constantly going up and down. I think that's all sort of ended up physically in my voice now. So if I quickly just... I might make you blush a little bit, but so... You performed at the Royal Wedding, you performed for the Obamas, you've been nominated for Grammys, you've won Brit Awards, you've had number one singles in America and successful records and tours. And Are you somebody that has bucket lists? Is there, are you somebody that has like a tick list of, with this album, it would be amazing if I could achieve X, Y and Z? Or, or do you just, of all of these things... I mean, you can't plan to play at the Royal... You know, but it, have you got a list of, it would be amazing to achieve mm. this... I don't really have a bucket list. I've kind of got to the point now where there was there was definitely a time in my career where I I had the potential to go a lot further than I did. I just didn't want to because I was tired and I was disillusioned and I just wanted to go home, be with my cat and not do anything and want to be away from the spotlight, away from people. So there was a moment yeah. where you realised... I could put even to the next level. Oh God, I could have, I could have really, really gone to the next level. Um, I could have, I could have definitely been in the studio more. I mean, I, I, I'm in the studio a lot, but I definitely could have, you know, worked with bigger producer, bigger artist, or or really played the game. Um, and I was so over it, and I just wanted to be human again, and I wanted to see my friends, I wanted to see my family, and um, I t- I made a decision to not play the game anymore. Um, and it has really benefited me, my health, my physical and mental health. Um, it just benefited just everything. And um, I'm looking forward to going into the next record with that, with that mentality and knowing that I don't have to do anything and I don't have to try and win Grammys. I don't have to try and perform on this show or perform for this person. I just... If it happens, it's such a beautiful bonus to what I do. Um, and it would be wonderful. But I, I realise that when you start chasing those things, it's really unhealthy. And it really affects your mind. And um, I, I, feel like I've, I feel like I'm really in the right place now to, to release music. And, and for the first time, which is awful. But I, I think that you know all, all of the things that I've been through and I've accomplished... Um, have one way or another affected me today um but i do know that i feel very positive mm. and um i I've, I've i'm lucky that i'm still doing what i do yeah, yeah. now my partner takes the mick and says oh you're a bloody veteran now <laughs> you know you're <laughs> um but but you know it's it's um it's great that i'm still in a position that i can re- release pop records and and get away with it <laughs> yeah yeah i think that from my experience, when you're involved with a record of singles that are successful, you're almost the least equipped to actually appreciate it while it's going on mm. in real time. Because you you just you literally don't have the time to think about it. But you had like you had a number one a big number one recently. Amazing mm. song by the way. Yeah, um such a good song. Um see that to me is an example of just a brilliant, brilliant pop song with brilliant lyrics. Um, so uplifting, everyone can sing along, um, and you know, that's that's why I'm very grateful for you and, and grateful for artists like you because um, that's what we need more of. And um, and but 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 actually, at the time, 
you can't really appreciate it because everything suddenly becomes so hectic. Um, it's only a few years later you think, fuck, that was pretty I cool. Know. Well, thank you very much. I think that on the first album, and it's not that I didn't enjoy it, but I did not appreciate what was going on yeah. for me because I didn't have time to stop and think about it. Whereas this time around, I've made the conscious decision to, you know, when I'm going to bed and setting my alarm for 5am to go to breakfast radio, yeah. instead of like going, fuck, where, you know, I'm so tired, I go like, amazing, I've been invited on to breakfast radio tomorrow morning. And I'm trying to, and it, it's so natural now for me just to, I'm able to appreciate it more. And it is a really nice feeling. It, it's bizarre being kind of so aware of what's mm, going on. Mm. Um, it just kind of, it's a complacency that you can't help sometimes. It's mm. just, I think it's a coping mechanism um, because it allows you to focus on what you should be focusing on and not get too carried away. God, it's so, it would have been so easy to turn into, you know, a monster with everything. <laughs> yeah. um, but um, I, I feel grateful for, for having the people I did around me and do have around me um, and, and always feeling that gratitude and, and I'll never stop having that. I've, I've definitely had my moments of, of being grumbles, which is also what my partner calls me. <laughs> um, uh, but, but, but really, I think it's so important to hang on to that, to that gratitude. And, 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 but, but you know what? Sometimes it takes, it takes a bit of time off mm. um, to, to really sort of get a grip on things and get over what's happened and then, you know, carry on yeah, yeah. amazing I'm going to end it there if that's okay yeah thank you for today thank you wonderful very cool And just like that, it is the end of yet another podcast episode. Thank you so much, Ellie, for your time. Thank you for your stories. Um, I just loved it. So thank you very much. A huge thank you to Warren Borg for editing the podcast together. Thank you to Oshin Griffin for your graphics. They're the graphics that all of you will see on the internet, um, which I love. So thank you, Oshin. Thank you to Josh Sanger and the Closer Artist team for helping with the podcast along the way. And of course, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here and for uh, yeah meeting me here each week. Why not tell a friend about the show that you think might enjoy it? Um, and as always, if you can give us a nice review, oh please, somebody love me. Uh, a good review goes a long way. Um, in the modern world I don't know algorithms and all that jazz it helps a lot if you could that would be amazing um, if not don't worry uh, I hope you're happy I hope you're smiling I hope you're having a good old time wherever you are I will of course see you here next week for another episode of George Ezra and Friends the podcast bye bye